Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 467. It's a best of episode. This uh, interview with Hank Adams was originally recorded in 2011. It was, I think, the 27th episode that we'd ever ever done. And I just decided to not edit anything out, even though my life has uh, changed drastically since, since this was recorded. I make reference to my two dogs that are no longer alive. Uh, I talk about my wife, because I was married at the time. Um, I don't know why I'm explaining all of this. Just listen to the episode. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor for this week, BetterHelp.com. I talk about him every week. Uh, I love it. I love not having to leave my house to do therapy. And if you've never tried online therapy, I think you should check it out. Um, go to BetterHelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so that they know you came from this podcast. And then just fill out a questionnaire, and if they they have a counselor they think is a good fit for you, they will match you up with one, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you, and you need to be over 18. And without any further ado, this is our last episode of the year, a rerun of our 27th episode from 2011 with Hank Adams, and here it is. Welcome to episode 27 with my guest, Hank Adams. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, an hour of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions to everyday compulsive negative thinking, feelings of dissatisfaction, disconnection, inadequacy, and that vague, sinking feeling that the world is passing us by. You give us an hour, we'll give you a hot ladle of awkward and icky. But first, a couple of notes. Uh, I would like to thank uh, Steve Grieve, who helps run the website, uh, Martin Willis, who uh, is just an all-around uh, great guy, helps in multiple ways. Um, I'd like to thank the guys who uh, help keep the uh, the forum running and uh, weed out the spammers. I'd like to thank my wife, Carla, 
for always giving me great advice. Um, the website for the for the uh, the show is mentalpod.com. That's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. And uh, if you want to call and leave a message, a fear, a comment, uh, a concern, an idea for world peace, go ahead and call 818-574-7177. And uh, what else did I? Oh, there's also a Facebook fan page if you want to go there. That would be uh, that'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, what else can I tire your patience with? Um, I know. How about I do something that is maybe mildly entertaining? I don't know if you guys realize this, but um, I have two very, very frightened dogs that... Uh, I don't think it's anything my wife and I do. I think that's just kind of genetically how they are. And uh, I don't know if they've been listening to the show or not, but um, I found a piece of paper, and I think they've written their fears down for me to use for uh, for a fear off. So I'm just going to... Uh, I don't know which one comes from which dog. Um, please, Paul, drag this bit out longer than it already is. So these are... The lists of my dog's fears. Fear that people will think Beverly Hills Chihuahua is a good movie. Fear that I will never stop having dreams where I can't run fast enough. Fear I'm due for a bath. Fear the groomer will lose her sobriety. Fear when you leave, you are never coming back. Fear someone is going to take my food. Fear you're going to find out what I left in the closet. I don't like the sound of that one. A fear that the mailman is plotting something. Fear if I do catch a squirrel, I won't have the heart to kill it. Fear my urine markings around the neighborhood are meaningless. Fear that cat shit is bad for me. Fear that I won't be able to come up with a face that is sad enough to get me a sample of what you're eating. Fear that my breath is bad. Fear that one day there will be a YouTube video of a smaller animal riding me. Fear that my tail does a horrible job of covering my asshole. And finally, my dog's final fear. That that kid that comes here on Thanksgiving will keep pulling my fur, and I will never get the chance to sink my teeth into its face. Everybody yeah. I know is bizarrely, beautifully fucked up in some weird way. I couldn't stand you in the audition. I couldn't stand yeah. you. Yes, yeah. awful. Yeah. I was drunk. And I learned that I could solve my problems. And said. Through violence, since I couldn't communicate. Lonely? Yes. I'm afraid that my genitalia is ugly. That's hurtful. And what was your role in the robbery? I mean, you never knew what you were going home to. I had a jar that had teeth in it. I was a wreck. Other people's teeth? Yeah. <laughs> I'm here with my, uh, my buddy. Uh, Hank Adams. I've known Hank for uh, for a couple of years, and uh, Hank helped me rebuild my front porch about about two months <laughs> ago. Um, you've you've done a variety of jobs over over the years. Uh, would it be fair to to call you a handyman? Would that, uh, or is, uh, that is that limiting? I mean, now I consider myself a handyman, but uh, um, I had to get trained. Mm -hmm. for to be a carpenter and carpenter is like a specialty field mm -hmm. but it uh it opened the door for um you know different uh different fields um 
and being an all-around um, carpenter, I learned a little plumbing, a little electrical. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my first school that I actually went to for the trades was welding school. So, um, and I did a half-assed job with that because, <laughs> you know, I did like six months and I wanted to get out and work instead of taking the full time to, to get certified. So, um, you know, I did, uh, I got like half the course. I mean, I le- I'm a good welder, but right. you know, it's, uh, then I found out through, you know, uh, through experience that, you know, I got flash burned so many times that it affects my eyes. So were I, you not wearing the, the mask? I always, I always wear the mask, but there's time and it's times where you just, uh, Forget to put your shield down uh-huh. or certain situations where you get flash burned. Yeah. I didn't and, realize you can get sunburned from being around welding. <laughs> or or, or <laughs> that the, they put they put suntan lotion on when you're around a lot of welding. That I had no idea. My first welding job coming out of school, yeah. um I was I was TIG welding uh-huh. and I worked for a guy that invented these uh it's like a home training stand that you could put your um your bike into and train at your house while well, I was welding up these stands and I had a slingshot t-shirt on <laughs> and I didn't know any, <laughs> I didn't know any better. And the next day I was just, I looked when I got home, I was, I was just so red and crisp that I, <laughs> so, uh, what, you know, one of the things that I, that I love about you, Hank, is you've been, since I've known you, you've been very open about, the stuff you've been through uh, from your childhood through your uh, uh, adulthood. Um, you've uh, struggled to stay sober. When did you first know that you had a, a problem with, uh, with drugs and alcohol? Well, my mom, my mom was an alcoholic, and uh, she told me probably when I was in junior high that I was uh, automatically a potential alcoholic and addict. Um, so... Um, when I, you know, I mean, like any normal teenager, I got into, um, you know, smoking weed and, but see, I I can remember way back from when I was a kid, um, that there was alcohol involved with my mom and dad, you know, and I think my mom used to give me, in fact, she told me that she used to give me alcohol to help to put me to sleep, you know? So, um, were you a high strung kid? Yeah, I was pretty, I was, uh, and I I had ADHD or whatever they call it. I had it back, uh, and they really didn't know how to treat it, and they really didn't know. They just called it a hyper kid, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, she tried taking me off sugar, which helped a little bit, but... Uh, uh, what was your, what was your uh, original home life? uh like with your with your mom and dad you've talked about your dad before um can you can you talk about what that was like um i can remember back you know when i was three or four years old that uh uh, my mom and dad were together and then um something happened um my my dad ended up uh beating the shit out of my mom and uh we ended up going staying with my grandparents and so there was that separation right there um and i i didn't know the validity of what how traumatizing that was um 
But living with my grandmother, my grandma was very abusive physically. Anything you did wrong, it was like, go get the switch, you know. And uh, uh, it was traumatizing. But that, that split between my mom and dad. Why did, and, you, why did you go live with your grandmother? Because um, I don't think my mom could afford to, to have her own place. Uh, so we went to... Uh, oh, your mom was with you with your grandmother. My mom was. Okay, I yeah, thought you may meant- split. You know, we're in from a small town in Georgia called Cedar Town, and where everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to adjust your mic real quick. Uh, the thing is, is that uh, there, you know, it, it was kind of, uh, kind of, it was painful, you know, trying to figure out what was going on. You know, how come my dad wasn't around? And then there's there's scattered. Uh, memories of uh, my mom and my sister and I and my brother had this uh, house by the high school and my the, and this the, is what what state this is in Georgia mm-hmm. and I was probably uh, five years old at the time and uh, the two memories that that jump out the most is that my mom set the bed on fire um, with a cigarette and another time, I remember... Not intentionally. Not intentionally. She was probably drunk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then the other memory was that she dated this guy named J.T. Gray, who was a truck driver. And uh, I remember my dad coming over to the house, and he had a, a, a wrench in his hand, and they were arguing and fighting, and J.T., grabbed my mom with a hose and was choking her out and my my dad and jt gray got into it and and you know it got real physical um why if your dad and this guy were arguing why did why did the jt guy all of a sudden get violent on your mom in the middle of it i i dad i don't know i mean uh jealousy and what whatever the the dynamics of that was uh you know just uh I mean, you could figure out the jealousy between, uh, you know, between all of them and circumstance. What really? Were your parents still married at that point? Or my they... mom and dad were still married at that point, but they were separated, and so she was dating other people. Exactly. And, and your dad, did he know that, or he j- knew it? In, in was she hiding it from him, and he found out, or that I don't know. But yeah. you know, after years. I kind of figured out. See, the the weird thing about it, right, was that afterward this happened, my dad picked me up, and we're hanging out, driving around, and then he he was having a poker game. And here, all of a sudden, we walk in the room, and here's J.T. Gray. And I, ju- I didn't get what? it. These guys are like poker buddies or friends. Or, so it's that dynamics that just like... Your friend's one minute, you're ready to crack someone over the head with exactly. a wrench so it's yeah so I, I i didn't you know it's like i was pretty naive um so it was kind of it was weird i didn't understand that yeah. tell tell the listeners what your dad did for a living um my dad was a union electrician and he wired uh the first rockets he was on a space program that he wired the rock wow whoa <laughs> Well, it brings up, you know, brings up some pain, you know, because he was never there for me. 
But he wired the first rockets that went to the moon. Uh, he was very intelligent. He was a uh, uh, army army veteran, and uh, you know, I never really got to really know my dad that good, you know, because uh, we my mom moved out. And uh, I think it was 1967 when we came to California. And that whole time, um, up until I was in the ninth grade, I didn't get a phone call. I didn't get a card. I didn't have contact with my dad. And I always, you know, I I didn't know how to deal with that. I mean, I just, you know, every time I talked about my dad, my mom would not talk about him, you know, and uh, because of the, the him beating the shit out of her. Uh, but from memories that I have and some pictures, my dad, uh, we traveled all over the United States and he, uh, well, I, I guess, you know, I guess it's okay. Um, you know, during the Cuban crisis and, uh, nuclear threats and all that, uh, my dad wired these silos, Minuteman missiles all through the United States. And I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not. Maybe we have to check on it. But um, I, I, I can't see why that would be. A I problem. don't see why yeah. it would be. In fact, uh, I don't think all it would of a be sudden a, problem. a shot rings out. Yeah, exactly. Hank slumps over. I mean, so yeah. we're protected. If anybody yeah. knows, we're yeah. protected. They don't know yeah. where the silos are. So, right. you know. But anyways, I got pictures of uh, us in California when I was like three years old living in Santa Barbara. I have no recollection of that. So before I was five years old, I'd been to like 38 states or whatever. So, um, so the, I mean, uh, through, uh, through my sister, uh, I found out. How some, many kids, how many kids in your family? Um, my immediate family, I have one brother, uh, who's a half brother with a different dad. And I got a, a, a sister with, uh, with both uh, my my mom and Tommy, my dad, um, and then my dad had uh, four other kids uh, in his first marriage, mm -hmm. and we never got close with each other, um, you know, because of uh, probably, you know, they didn't, you know, we're bastard kids or whatever, right. you know what I mean? So, I mean, I met all of them, but we never got close to each other. Oh, what I was getting at is that... Uh, uh, I had uh, my grandmother, we called her Big Mama, and then I had my, my nanny, which was my uh, dad's mom, and uh, that side of the family. And that was the side of the family that I got closest to. Uh, we're native. In interesting. Not close to your dad, but close to your dad's side of the family. Yeah. Yeah, because my, my dad was hardly ever available. Even when I went to stay with my grandmother, I remember when I was younger, he was around, but he was he was traveling all the time or working most of the time, and uh, and and he was emotionally unavailable even when he was there physically. Exactly, he was yeah. never he was wasn't emotionally available. And you, you said that your mom was an alcoholic. Was your dad an alcoholic? My also? dad was an alcoholic. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, he huh. was. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, that must have really hurt the. The, the fact that you could be around your dad's family and yet your dad wasn't there. And even if he was there physically, he, he wasn't there emotionally for you. So, I mean, what kind of messages do you think that that, that was sending to you as a, as a kid or did you not even think about it? I, I, 
I didn't really think about it, um, uh, but I just I know it affected me really bad because he wasn't around, and I was still trying to put together, piece together on everything that was that happened, and you know why my mom and dad weren't together, and and I knew already because I saw pictures on how bad he uh, hurt my mom and black and blue in the face, and and I saw that, and uh, uh, I just you know, trying to put everything together. The The point that I was making is I got molested by uh, the next door neighbor. Um, when you were living with your grandmother? Yeah, I got, yeah, when I was, well, I was living with Nanny. Or I don't even, I don't even know if I was living there. I think I was still living in my other big mama's house. And I went and, you know, spending time at uh, Nanny's house. And, uh you know, I went next door, you know, because we called her Aunt Haggard, and uh, she used to give us... Uh, That's not an attractive name. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, this guy, uh, her son... I'm just going to guess there was no modeling involved in, in, uh, <laughs> in her, her life. <laughs> Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> you know, I got, I got, I was, uh, got molested by him. Uh, not raped... But it was, uh, I, I don't know how candid I could be. He was masturbating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, he, I, I don't know any better. He told me, come in and, yeah. you know, I, and, uh, but he, he uh, molested me. So, yeah. I, and I don't know if anything else happened. I don't know if I blocked it out. Or, and how old were you? Jeez, I was, uh, Five or six at the time. You know the the, the sad thing about it, um, the, the the part to me that is the saddest about kids getting molested is, and I and I think about what you know the the guy that that molested me. I just wanted somebody to pay attention to me, and that's what they prey on. They prey on yeah. kids that are neglected or kids that their parents aren't around or their dad's not around or somebody's or they're just bored yeah you know but there's usually they sense that that vulnerability in yeah. the kids and they and they you, it's like you just kind of extinguish something in that in that kid when you act nice and yeah. then you fuck them up yeah i yeah. i agree i you know and and just thinking about it it's like you know, small town, you know, there wasn't, uh, everybody knew everybody. You didn't need, uh, the security that you do today, yeah. unsupervised, yeah. you know, where, uh, parents watch their kids and know that there's danger. Uh, and I look at it that way is that, uh, you know, uh, and, I was, and, and I'm sure it was done to him by somebody else. And it's probably the easiest thing in the world is to just continue perpetrating what was, what was done to you but, but see that the 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 sad part about it is that uh he molested my sister too and i don't know to what extent uh but uh he he's a predator yeah and uh after my sister uh you know got support and therapy for what happened to her uh she turned this guy in oh that's great she uh uh, tried. I don't know what the outcome of the, was, but uh, she she proceeded to prosecute this guy 
And so this uh, was obviously years and years after years it had happened. Years and years after it happened. Uh, but he has to be accountable for his Absolutely. actions. And he, I don't think he can be around children, and he's and yeah. he's a, a, a predator. Yeah. And uh, and probably a good thing that uh, I, I've never been um, into hurting people. Really, uh, I just I, I probably would have uh, done something bad. Yeah. Um, yet, yet you do have a, a history of of violence in your in your past, and for those of you that that uh, don't go to the website and see a, a picture of, of of Hank, he's uh, a a bear, a gentle bear of a man would be the best way to describe you. You know, when you were helping me uh, <laughs> fix my porch, I you were tearing these, you know, that we were tearing the old porch apart. And you're just tearing these these boards off, and you're sweating, and you're grunting, and you got a cigarette hanging out of your mouth. <laughs> and I'm standing there, and you know, trying to not get dirt under my nails. And uh, and I felt like I might as well have been wearing high heels. But you know, you're I uh, the thought of you in a drunken rage scares the shit uh, out of me. You know, it's like my bark is worse than my bite yeah. kind of uh, thing, and it's mainly a defense. Um, there's only a few certain instances. I mean, even even my uh, drunken stupor um, that I've really gotten really violent. Uh, not deliberately. It was out of uh, self-preservation. Uh, but I've never been... Uh, can you talk about those instances? Uh, there's, uh, I think my, one of my first encounters, well, I was just this dumb country boy, you know, came to California and I got picked on because of my accent. And then, uh, uh, I went to Pacoima junior high and it was 70% Hispanic, uh, 20% black and 10% white. So, uh, I blend in with the, pretty much anybody. I don't have the the racial prejudice that they do in the South. So I was, you know, I'm just a nice kid, mm -hmm. right? Innocent and uh, see, I never. I I was an athlete. I played. Uh, I started playing baseball, and I was pretty good at what I. You know, mm -hmm. I learned quick, and I was a good hitter. Played football. Actually, I got uh, most valuable player playing flag football when I was. Uh, like in the sixth grade or fifth grade. Mm. Uh, but nobody was ever there. Neither family member. My mom was, wasn't there. So I never got the support. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, I just, uh, the, the, the uh, there was trauma going on all the time at the house, especially with my mom and the new stepdad. This is in the, in the seventies. Uh, I got pulled off the baseball team because my grades were failing. Well, no shit. Nobody's ever there to to support me and help me. She's drunk all the time or he's drunk or they, you know, it's like they were unavailable. So I got pulled off the baseball team uh, and it, it affected me really bad. And the coach came by and begged my mom to let me play. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. 
When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must-read for anyone in medicine, from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And she wouldn't do it, you know. So so the point that I was making about the violence is that uh, guys that uh, I was hanging out with, I was uh, 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 around the football team. I never actually made the football team. And I lied, say, oh, yeah, I was, the, you know. Uh, I was mainly the, the, the trainer or the manager, equipment manager, whatever the fuck it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but anyways, I'm hanging around with these guys from the neighborhood. And the thing back in the 70s, you know, before they had video games on the Internet or uh, was arcades. We hung out at arcades. Oh, I remember. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, Frogger and mm-hmm. Asteroids. and But the that's where all the kids hung out. Well, uh, acquaintance... Ended up, this kid came in with a bayonet, uh, showing it, trying to sell it. And a, and a friend of mine, you know, uh, uh, one of the guys, uh, ended up taking the bayonet from this kid. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess the kid was kind of like a, uh, I don't know if he was a gangbanger, but anyways, uh, he ended up going getting his friends and his, his, uh, probably his older brother and, uh, we ended up, you know, they ended up fighting, and there was like seven or eight of us in the parking lot fighting. And uh, one of the get get one of the guys that ended up getting stabbed through the side with the bayonet, and I ended up getting stabbed twice. I ended up getting stabbed in the gut, and I didn't realize I got stabbed in the gut until I got my arm sliced. And you know, I'm taking on four guys. So I mean, and, I'm, and you're how old at this point? I'm, uh, geez, uh, I think I was 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I was. I was right before I went in the army, but any or no, I was probably actually younger than that. Um, but I ended up getting stabbed twice, and uh, and I want to kill these guys now. And my buddy had a pistol in the car. 
and he wouldn't let me have the pistol, thank God. But I ended up grabbing a hammer, and I ended up chasing these guys down the street with the hammer. So, <laughs> you know, uh, and... Uh, what, what, what was your stepdad like? I had uh, three stepdads. Uh, really? I, well, the first one, we, when I first came to California, was it three... Yeah, it was three stepdads. First guy was. That's not a good sign when you got to pause and try to count the stepdads. Yes. Yeah. yeah no, like, that's not good. Your mom's. Your mom's. Got some issues. Yeah, definitely. Uh, can we take a break? I need to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a break. <laughs> All right. So uh, we just took a little bathroom break. What What was the the last thing we were uh, talking about? We're talking uh, zeroing in on violence. Yeah. Um, and and it just brought up. Oh, we're talking about stepdads. Stepdads. How many stepdads? Yeah. Um, when I first came to California, my mom was uh, with this guy named Mike Mikesel, uh, who was worked at Borden Chemicals. Um, but anyways, one of the points that I wanted to make is that uh, there was problems there. Uh, they they were drinking. I think both of them. Well, obviously, I knew my mom. Mom, I didn't know them, but my mom's an alcoholic. Every stepdad that I had was an alcoholic or drank, and uh, they broke up for some reason. But playing with these guys, these these kids were abusive and they're uh, mean. So and they used to beat me up all the time, and I couldn't fight. My mom didn't want me to fight. But the point is, it's like I came home crying one day because. The guy, one of the kids beat me up, and she just had enough. I go, Mom, you won't let me fight. I can't protect myself. And she said, you go out there, and you beat, you know, beat that kid up. And I'm like, you told me not to fight. She said, yeah, but you got to protect yourself. Otherwise, you're going to keep beating you up. And uh, I went out there, and, and uh, I beat this kid up. And, you know, next thing you know, all three of them want to fight me. So, you know, they separated uh your your first stepdad my and your first mom. stepdad and then she uh i don't know if she married this guy i think she did but she was with this other guy uh leroy garrett and uh he was a violent guy and uh we ended up uh moving out to uh norwalk before everything was built out there it was all farmland and mm. and uh he ended up abusing her so bad that she just, uh, you know, um, I, I, I know all he knows he was gone one day and then we're left there at the house. It was real vague memories in and out, but, uh, I remember them, uh, her doing seances in the garage, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, I didn't, you know, <laughs> um, and I just don't know the whole, whole you know how we ended up from one place to the other but uh then we you know that's that that is to me part of what can fuck you up the most from childhood is the fogginess yeah of things and not knowing where the truth is and it's just an icky uncomfortable feeling in your gut and i think that's why drugs or alcohol or sexual promiscuity or video games or whatever your escape is yeah. is so tantalizing because that that your mind just keeps playing these events over and over in, in your head thinking that some type of truth is going to drop out of it like a like a jackpot game and you're going to get peace or relief yeah and while that does happen occasionally 
sometimes what also happens is we drive ourselves to the brink of suicide or madness trying to to get that relief trying to fit the pieces of the puzzle together is what i call it you yeah. know and, and sometimes i think the best that we can do is to just talk about it with somebody and get to the conclusion that it is just messy and there is maybe no aha truth to it maybe that's the aha is that there is no aha well i think uh, the root of this is knowing the fact and this is what i found out years later through uh through help uh, is why the question was why was my mother the way she was i knew there had to be something that happened that made her the way she was. You mean pick, picking guys that were... The whole dynamics yeah. of it. Uh, the um, You just knew that there was something wrong. Yeah. Why are you doing the things? And what I'm talking about that, picking the guys, having the fucked up stepfathers, um, the, the drinking. Uh, and I remember way back, you know, her taking prescription meds, strung out of prescription medications, mental illness, okay? and She was mentally ill. She, there was something going on. Yeah. Uh, uh, she finally told me what happened, and it was probably a good thing that she waited, you know, as long as she did, because I probably would have uh, taken action. And what she told me was that uh, her brother raped her. My Uncle Sam raped her. And uh, it, it traumatized her. After that, she was never the same. And uh, and, how, and how old was he, and how old was she? She didn't get into that. Yeah. But uh, it. Um, Not that there's any age at which it, it's less it, painful. Than, yeah. But but I think it happened uh, probably in her teens. Yeah. And they also then seek out abusive people, I guess, because it feels familiar to them. And and the abusive people can spot somebody that is familiar with, uh, that is comfortable with an abusive person across the room. They spot that vulnerability in them. And, uh, yeah, it's like if, if you don't work on yourself and your picker is broken, yeah, you, you are going to keep picking people that excite you for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You're going to be bored by stability, and you're going to be excited by people that bring inherent chaos and drama. And uh, it's... When you get traumatized, uh, it sets uh, it, it sets up a whole dynamics that you have no control over, uh, and you just it, there's a defiance in there. It's like, you know, I got violated, so I'm going to do what the hell I want, and no, I don't trust, and I don't give a shit what it, you know, because I don't trust anybody anymore, anyways, for the rest of my life, right. and and that's happened. And I got arrested when I was nine years old for under the influence curfew and disturbing the peace all right and our routine was friday nights we'd get five dollars me and my sister we'd go to the alakazar theater you know that was uh what we did we'd get a pack of cigarettes and we're going to these places yeah. by ourselves yeah you know me and my sister would split a pack of cigarettes mm -hmm. <laughs> then we'd go to the Al alakazar theater right and uh ended up meeting this girl and we're hugging and kissing and having a great time and then somewhere in the mix, out came the paint. And, uh, you know, we're drinking. I don't know how we got the alcohol. But anyways, the paint, uh, I mean, I just 
uh, went into a whole new dimension that I had no control over. And I'm just fitting in. I'm going with it. And what do you mean the paint? Sniffing paint. Oh. The paint. The sniffing of the paint. You were drinking and... Uh, I don't know if I was really drinking, but there, it might okay. have been. All right. But uh, uh, the, somehow paint came into the picture where a guy had uh, either a sock or a baggie. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, you know, okay, I'll try it. Yeah. Uh, man, I just, I, I, I lost whatever was going on. I went into uh, euphoria, if you want to say that, or mm-hmm. wherever it took me. Right, and I ended up losing all track of time, mm. not really caring about what was going, just having a good old time. Yeah, and we're walking down the street, and we're uh, making a lot of noise. And this is back then; the curfew was ten o'clock, mm. and uh, somebody came out and said one of the neighbors, and you know was, you know, fuck you and whatever, and my, you know. So the time we got down to the end of the block, the cops were there. Mm-hmm. So uh, next thing you know, I'm sitting in jail. <laughs> I got silver paint all over my face, <laughs> right? And the the cop is asking me questions, you know. Okay, well, I'm nine years old. And so my mom ends up coming to the station. I don't get beat up. I don't get whipped. I don't get really, I don't know how she dealt. I think it shocked the shit out of her and, and it hurt her that this happened to me. And, and she knew it was her fault. Some, you know, she knew she was responsible. There was a negligence for it. on her part. And, and uh, it hurt her, you yeah. know, that's, uh, but, uh, that, that was the first time I ever got arrested and, and she knew that me and my sister were getting into going down the wrong path. And all of a sudden, I'm uh, uh, 17, uh, uh, 18, 19, and I got a raging heart on. I want to uh, have sex. Mm-hmm. And I didn't care uh, with who. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm open. I have no... I don't know who I am. Uh, all I know is I'm, uh, I wanted to, to orgasm. I guess you could say that. I just, But there was also the need to feel wanted and loved in there mm-hmm. that really twisted me up. And uh, I ended up becoming a male prostitute. And uh, I, I was okay with it. I was willing to try anything. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how uninhibited I was. Mm-hmm. I ended up finding out about swingers and swapping and 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 that sexual aspect of it, and I got off into doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, the free love. I guess I come from that era, kind of mm-hmm. the free love, and right. you know, uh, but most of it was like heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, when I when I got into um, being a male prostitute, it was mainly with guys, mm-hmm. and I didn't care. But, and I realize this is... Were you mostly doing it for, was it purely for the money, or were you, was there a part of it that turned you on as well? Oh, when I first started out, it was, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make money doing it, but my my natural instinct was for sex, and then if I could have sex and get paid for it, that's even better. Okay. You know, so I think. And were you preferring men or women at this point? Oh, I was always, I always, always into women. Uh huh. But that was just another side that, uh, I explored and, and, Mm. uh, 
you know <laughs> i mean it was uh you know like i said i had no inhibitions yeah. and looking back at that it was because i was molested that uh you know i didn't have any boundaries but yeah. you know um but it's, it's hard to have boundaries if you aren't raised with boundaries. Yeah. You, I don't think they, it comes naturally to a human being. Yeah. But looking back on it, the, the thing with the men, I was trying to fill that daddy thing, too. Yeah. You know, and I had no idea. But, um, you know. Uh, walk, walk me through an average day when you're a male prostitute. What, what, what do you? Walk up and down Santa Monica Boulevard and just stand out there. You know, and you're cute, and you try to get, you're pulling tricks. Yeah. You know, trying to get somebody to pull over and, you know, um, you know pay you for sex. And, uh, uh, you get the money up front, you get the money afterwards. It what? all to depend. I, yeah. uh, you know, and you have to learn trial and error how to trust and not trust and yeah. walk, to protect, walk, carry yourself. Walk, walk me through some of, some of the. Well, I mean, uh, uh, guy, one guy picked me up and, uh, it's like, you know, uh, he just wanted to have oral sex, you know, and most time they, I was the, the passive in the fact that they just wanted to blow me. Right. Right. And I'm fine with that. Mm. I didn't want, I wasn't into, you know, uh, receiving anal. I just, mm. that's yeah. not, you know, I'm the male. I'm not going to, that's not mm. me. You know, he asked me how much and the going rate was like 40 bucks, depending on how far, you know, which I was open to because I didn't know. You know, I ended up, uh, I did anal. I let, uh, the first time that I got penetrated, mm. uh, and I think this is actually before I became a male prostitute, and it was part of the swinging thing. I, na I answered an ad, uh, and how I don't really, I don't, how to put it together, but I ended up, uh, going with a transsexual. Mm -hmm. And it, it was, it was just a wide open experience, cause I'm like trying to discover different things. Mm -hmm. And I ended up uh, going that way to, uh, you know, to because mm -hmm. I was horny mm -hmm. and trying something different. And I just that wow. I mean, it was uh, meeting this person, and it was a, a man who had become a woman, or a woman who had become a man. It was it was like I don't know if it was a cross dresser. I wasn't really exactly sure. Oh, it wasn't a transsexual. It was it was a. Uh, it was it was uh, yeah. I, it was uh, a guy being a woman. I think that was in the process. Okay. Uh, it, was there I, a, was there a penis? Oh, definitely a penis. Okay. Oh, there was. It was definitely a guy. Okay. Um, that either trans. So, so a transvestite. A transvestite, maybe a transgender. I. Uh, okay. Anyways, what ended up happening is that she ended up giving me drugs that put me into a uh, I mean a different state of mind and. And I was pretty much out of it. And it, through the, you know, whatever. We did whatever. I was open to whatever. And I ended up um, getting penetrated. Mm -hmm. And I actually loved it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it, it, I never orgasmed like that in my life. Mm -hmm. But I really wasn't into that aspect. You, and were you a, a male prostitute yet at that point? I don't. I don't think I was. I don't. Okay. I wasn't a male. No, as a matter of fact, I wasn't so, a so male. Then, so then the thought probably occurred to you: I can make money. Yeah, yeah. I think that's doing, how. It, I think this. that's how it transcended into that. Yeah. So, uh, but so, that's. Uh, <laughs> thank you for being honest about that. Uh, you stuff, know, I, I you know I used to be really ashamed of that and my sexuality and who I am and. 
uh, it's still, I mean, in today's society, uh, you know, being a big guy and being masculine and, you know, it's like, it's still kind of hard to, to admit that I, you know, one of my turn ons is transsexuals, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just who I am. And, uh, I, I still haven't come to grips about being able to be open about that. I think everybody has something that they're turned on by, you know, that, that they're embarrassed or ashamed, uh, about. And the fact that you can be open about that, I think is awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, allowing me to, to open up with it. It's Mm -hmm. something that I don't. I don't talk about because mm. I, I'm still not comfortable with um, that is part of who I am. Mm. You know, that is that is me, mm-hmm. you know, and how do you really be, you know, because it's like you have to be this macho guy. And I got a lot of I mean, most of my friends are straight mm-hmm. and I love women. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is that part of me that uh, that. That's part of my bisexuality. I'll yeah. say that, you know, yeah. and uh, and you were and you were telling me before that you've since you started being open about your history of being a male prostitute that you, when you shared that, um, people came up to you. you yeah, you said I you went to go talk at a, at a, a juvenile to support mm-hmm. and try to help uh, juveniles and mm-hmm. and. Uh, Actually, I've, I, I was with a couple different organizations that help runaway kids in, uh, Hollywood called, uh, Children of the Night. Yeah, great organization. And, uh, you know, I used to work with, uh, you know, um, people that come to Hollywood and think it's just, you know, they see this lights and glamour and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it the, overnight. I'm gonna be the success because I got the talent, you know, and without any training or anything. And then they realize that. <laughs> It's a town full of predators, and they need to make rent. And guess what? And guess what? And uh, they don't have the money, and they end up on the street. But what we, they do have is a young body. They got a young body that people want, yep. and and that's what ended up happening to uh, men and women. So you talked to these, these kids at Children of the Night, and you told them your story. I told them my story, and it opened up the door to to help other people. And when I was honest and, and shared my experience with, uh, these young teenagers, uh, I, I got a lot of response that, uh, some teenagers come up to me and says, I've been living with this for a long time. And I, I, I did, I've held it in and, and I'm glad you got honest about it. Cause now I can, uh, I feel like I'm not alone that somebody understands what I've been through. It just opened the door, which made me feel great about it. That's so beautiful, Hank. That That's so beautiful, man. Taking that step forward um, is, it's the scariest thing in the world. Yeah. Talking about something that we think people are going to judge us for, and then we find out that they love us for it. Yeah. And they respect us for our honesty, and we've given them some comfort and made them feel less alone. You know that that to me, when I get those moments, it I don't future trip. 
You know, I feel present, you know, as one of my friends likes to say. That's my, a my, new term that I like that I never really... Future tripping? Yeah, oh, I, fuck. I just realized that when... I'm uh, a frequent flyer. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to me, the, the, the biggest challenge in life is keeping my head where my feet are. I think that's hardest for anybody. And and but when I share my experience with somebody, share my pain with somebody, my head is always right where my feet are and my problems disappear. I don't feel alone. I don't feel fucked up. I feel accepted. Um but sharing what you shared could not have been easy the first time you did it. I'll tell you what. And this is the good, honest truth. That's my biggest, darkest secret right there. I have no problem telling you that I was molested. And I have no problem uh, owning up to whatever my my thing was. But my biggest thing uh, that I feel ashamed and, and guilty about and not open to it because of the, the judgments from... Uh, what's normal? What what is okay and what's not? Heterosexual. That's that's it. You know. But the, it opened. You know, with the with what's happened to me, uh, it's, I'm still not comfortable with like that's who part. I'm what uh, is part of me. Yeah. Now, I don't. I'm not in. I don't go. Uh, how do how do I say this? I haven't been in a relationship or had uh, relations with anybody in a long time out of choice, okay? Because I'm in a healing process for me. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as being with another guy, I've never. I'm not. I'm not that. Uh, I'm not really gay, mm-hmm. right? But uh, as far as uh, I, I don't even know how to explain. You don't it. have a desire to be exclusively in a relationship with a man. Not at all. I not at but all. But you enjoy occasionally having sex with a man. Uh, yeah, I could say I'm open to that, and most of it's been with uh, like couples, mm-hmm. and I think that's uh, still kind of mm-hmm. uh, interesting. Yeah, um, just a fantasy about it. Yeah. Um, and and the point that I'm making is I'm. I'm I'm mainly heterosexual. Women, women turn me on, and I have—I uh, don't know if I, I guess I could be open about this. I've always, for some reason, I think it goes way back, is that I got a foot fetish. I've always been uh, fascinated by people that are into feet because there is nothing sexual to me about about feet. Like I uh, like a woman's neck to me is right. incredibly sexual. There's the back of a woman's neck right. when women wear their hair up sometimes. I, I I just I can't take my eye off their neck, but I guess you you feel that way about feet. Well, okay, let me let me put it this way. Something happened when yeah. uh when I was a kid and uh and and this is how how uh crazy it is and I remember this from and it has it's got to be uh with being molested and open to that. I remember back, even, I mean, when I was young, mm-hmm. wanting to massage and smell my grandmother's feet. That's, that's really, really. and I never yeah. even, I've never said that to yeah. anybody. Wow. That is strange, huh? And, and I don't know where it come from, but yeah. I think it had to do with me either experiencing, um, sex, um, with somehow with that or seeing somebody do that and smelling it. Yeah. And I think that's where it really came from is the smell. Yeah. Maybe it was the smell of sex 
and I associated with. But there was the feet. nothing sexual with you and your grandmother. Nothing no. ever sexual with yeah. me and I, my grandmother. That I, I, I know I'm. But I'm I wonder positive. if it, I wonder if it was because that 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 because she was so harsh with you that there was something, you know, because a lot of times our our the feelings of rejection and wanting to be loved no, and our sexuality no. sometimes can. No, that wasn't it no. with her. Yeah. The 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 foot fetish. That's yeah. what. It was. It could have been anybody. I see. Right. It could have been anybody at that point. But uh, I don't know how it even came about. Wow. I have no clue on how that became my fetish. But something happened it, in there, and, and, and it had to be with sex somewhere. And like I said, it was the smell of feet. It was like when when feet smell bad, you like that that smell. Not bad, but there's just a there's an aroma. Okay, it just I like the smell of dogs' feet. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> turn me on sexually, but I love that smell of Fritos. <laughs> oh, of, thanks! Of I'm dog's a dog. Feet. You put me in a category with a dog. No, now. I'm saying I I love the smell of dogs' feet. You do that? Yes, see? I do. I love it. That's then see the judgments. Well, you're just weird. I can't talk to you. Oh, I know I'm weird. Yeah, I talk but to my see, dogs like they're people. See that and like. Like you said, yeah. the point that I'm making with yeah. that is that uh, why do I feel so bad about my sexuality? You know, you have uh, no control over what turns you on, so why should you feel any shame about but it? But I still, I'm, I'm not open with that. Yeah. yeah, you know, and and it's like if I was real comfortable with it, and, would I be in a relationship with a transsexual that turns me on? Hmm. And that's the bottom. And would I feel comfortable with that? And uh, I, being open about that, you know, yeah. and I guess the the fear comes in that I'm not going to have friends because of who I am, uh, you know, mm -hmm. or or be that's deep, or be invited to social gatherings, dude. That's deep, or or uh, are my buddies going to accept yeah. me because that that part of me, like uh, I'm, I'm your I, buddy, I accept yeah. you. Okay, but there's you know some of our friends, mm. Paul, is that. I don't know if they would accept that because we I got these would. big macho. Dude, I think they totally accept it. Yeah, that's one of my biggest fears. Why I don't? I'm not real open about it. Yeah, you know. Uh, wow. But <laughs> I'm so glad that you that you shared that. That's that's <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm glad that I actually. You know, it you is. You feel a little more to, free now. I you said swear that? to God, Paul, just for saying that and open up to that, I feel more. I feel free, more free about it. You That's know? so great. Because it's not something that, you, you know, your deepest, darkest secret, your mm -hmm. secrets is one that really, it, it really keeps you in the dark, kind of. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't feel 100%, okay? And I, and I should point out to our listeners the irony that as you tell me this, you are wearing Crocs, my least favorite shoe on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? My buddies still give me a ration of shit because yeah. that macho shit. Yeah. It's like, wow. Well, you can, you know, uh, and it's like. I got no room to talk. These they, these mandals that I'm wearing, you know. You know, I wouldn't give a shit at this point in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I really, whatever's comfortable for me, mm -hmm. you know, I could, I had some yellow ones. I mean, I still that's, got it. That's an eyesore. That is like a crock. You know, is, a crock see, is yeah. You know, and but I tell you, the 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 
these are blue, and I actually won these at the UCLA baseball. I was going to say those are the UCLA colors. These yeah. are, this is from UCLA baseball. You game. sure you didn't get those because you lost at the UCLA? No, I actually <laughs> I, I won a contest, <laughs> and uh, and I tell you what, I've heard about Crocs. I've never had the most. I've never worn the most comfortable shoe in my life wow. with these things. Really, I, I swear to God. These things are like walking on cushions. Yeah. Uh, and it's Maybe I shouldn't judge. Maybe I should judge. You know what? Uh, if you've never had a pair, you'll be thanking me to go get a pair. Uh, and I tell you what, and the and the I don't care what they look like. Yeah. And it, it comes to a point mm-hmm. where you know, I, I don't give a shit what you think. Mhm. You know, uh, if it, these are the best shoes I've yeah. ever worn. I feel that way about Birkenstocks. I'll I'll uh, wear some Birkenstocks, and I know they look dorky, yeah. but they feel so oh. fucking good. Oh yeah, especially like after a good workout or something, putting on a, oh a nice thick sock to even dork it up more. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a, <laughs> there's it, something really comforting about about dressing up for pure comfort. In an eyesore way that just makes you feel like, wow, I really fucking love myself in a good That's way, right. you know? And you're comfortable with, you yeah. know, what, who gives a shit what other people think? I think, the, I think the problem I have with them is that they look like they're meant to steam vegetables in. Uh, they, you, you know, know they got all those ho- the holes. <laughs> There's just something about them looks, uh, I don't know. You know what it reminds me of? Because yeah. they're so wide in the front. It reminds me yeah. of clown shoes. Yeah. It yeah. really it reminds me of these a little bit. Big yeah. clown shoes. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> but um getting getting back to some some of the stuff that I wanted to uh to talk to you about. Um one of the and I hate to switch uh, switch gears uh and and kill the fun, but one of the things that I know is a really pivotal moment in your life um had to do with your your mom can you can you talk about that i can can we take a break i gotta pee so bad yep like hurting (laughs) so you and i have have talked before about uh there there was a painful event in your in your life uh involving your your mom that that you feel like made it really hard for you to to get sober for a long time can you can you talk about that uh event well looking back um that whole like like I talked about before that trauma devastated my mom and and the abuse that she took and my mom told me stories about this is that my mom was very abused I mean my grandmother used to beat her with uh, coal shovels hangers uh, uh, very very I mean she'd go to jail today wow. if that happened and and uh, that traumatized my mother I didn't know that uh, for a long time she held it from me and is this the grandmother that you lived with for a while or was that your dad's grandmother that's that's big mama that's my mom's mom that i lived with for a while that she was the one that hit you with switches and stuff like that hit me and my i'll tell you an instance me and my sister are playing in the yard one day and we got that old uh spring-loaded rocket i mean horse Mm -hmm. where you can bounce on it and it you know so me and my sister just having fun and being kids, being kids. And my sister jumped on. We're both on it. And we got this thing airborne and we're having the best time. <laughs> and the spring broke and we both fell off. My grandmother's watching in the window and she just went berserk. Be- for what? 
<laughs> oh my God. She made my sister go out and get a switch and started whipping her. And of course I stuck up for my sister and she turned it on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how fucking abusive she was. Yeah. Excuse my language. Yeah. But, uh, looking back at that, I can see how traumatized that was to my mother, mm. right? There's got to be an answer and a solution and a path you can go down to heal yourself. Uh, she never had that. So she self-medicated and, and through, through that with, uh, a few suicide attempts, uh, and her, uh, having nervous breakdowns and mental breakdowns, uh, it affected, affected me of, uh, that possibility that there's no safety there. There's, I mean, it just opened the door to whatever. I don't even know, but, uh, there was never that, like you said, that safety. I never You're felt on your own, man. I, I'm, I'm in the sea by myself. You got a dad that yeah. doesn't even call you stepfathers that aren't interested in you and a mom who physically emotionally can't yeah yeah and uh but you felt like your mom loved you oh i knew my mom loved me yeah i i knew she loved me she just didn't know she didn't have the tools to express that to express it and she was so consumed with uh uh her traumas uh and, and looking back on it, she had to kill the pain. Yeah. She had, because it was so devastating to her. She's such a... Uh, there was always that love and support. Always. And, uh, for me, I, I don't know my sister's story, but for me, it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. It was just normal shit, you know, like somebody getting angry or somebody yeah. going into, mm-hmm. um, whatever she did, you know, yeah. it's like just being unavailable and emotionally mm-hmm. fucked up. My mother treated her differently than, uh, than she did me. Cause I was the baby of the family and I was just, uh, uh, after she broke up with my last stepdad, she was in financial fear. So I remember uh, she was prostituting, not like out on the street corner doing that, but she'd go to a bar, you know, pick a guy up and, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I don't know how many times she did it, but she did it nonchalantly where we did, it really didn't affect us, mm-hmm. you know, but I know she did that. How did you, and, how did you know? Uh, well, um, you figured it out at that point that th- she was doing that for money, or did she had a guy over? I he was a big fat guy, mm-hmm. right? And I know she wasn't really attracted to him. It's mm-hmm. not. I, I knew my mom, and and I put it together right there because I I caught him in bed with each other, right? And uh, her her thing was, oh, we're just wrestling. I knew right there. Yeah. She lied to me. Yeah. So I put two and two together. I didn't really know what a prostitute was, but I kind of did. Yeah. So I put two and two together at that point. Yeah. In the process of uh, all that, she had a nervous breakdown. Mm. I mean, she absolutely um, went cuckoo. She's hearing things. She's seeing things. And and uh, I don't know what happened where uh, the state stepped in. But me and my sister got put in a foster home 
when I was in the third grade, and we both went to uh, live in Compton. Mm-hmm. And I was in uh, a Mexican and black family, mm-hmm. and then my sister was in an all-black family, mm-hmm. which was which fucking traumatizing in itself. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that was an instance where her mental um, breakdown costed me part of my life. Um, trying to, well, she'd stay gone. Sometimes she'd go on a bench. She'd be gone for two weeks, and we didn't know where she was. Or we kind of did, but we didn't, you know, don't. Who was watching over you? Your My, step, my stepdad. But we, it's like, yeah, she'd just be gone for two fucking weeks. She'd check in with us once in a while, but, wow. you know, we'd have to go find her at a bar. Oh, man. I, you know, it's like shit like that. It's like, how do you yeah. fucking deal with shit like that? Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm in junior high school, and I'm trying to, you know, yeah. study and be, you know, be a good student, and all the shit's going on. My, my, no wonder I was fucking ADHD. Yeah. Fuck, all this shit's going on all the yeah. time. Um, but the, uh, she come home at 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, meet my friends. I want, you know, Mom, I got to go to school tomorrow. You know. Wow. It's like, so, it's like a child yeah, in an like, adult's body. Yeah. You know, that's what so many alcoholics and addicts are. Is they're, they're just children that just never grew up. You know. <laughs> yeah. Or that's how you deal with your trauma is you yeah. self-medicate. Yeah. Or you find yeah. whatever mm-hmm. makes you feel good, whatever addiction yeah. it can be. Yeah. And there's many forms of addiction. It could be shopping. could be sex. could be gambling. Mm-hmm. could be now the Internet. Yeah. could You know. Facebook. could be. I know so many oh people my God, I'm, that, yeah. you know, are completely addicted there's to games Facebook on there that Twitter. suck you in oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and i know because i've been yeah. down that road but i've seen like realizing it could yeah. be a problem let, let, let's uh what what i wanted you to uh <clears throat> talk about was uh the most to you the most traumatic from what we, we've talked about with my mother with your mom can you talk about that yeah, day? i can talk about it um my mom calls me uh from the hospital and tell me I've been having heart, I've been having some problems. I, I, and she says, can you come get me? So I go over to the hospital, and uh, I go, well, why don't you stay here? Why don't you, uh, because they won't let me smoke. I go, well, no shit. You should stay here. And let, no, I want to go home. Well, who am I going to fight with my mom, mm-hmm. you know? Um, okay, so I go home, and I said, follow up with your doctor. And no, okay. So a week goes by. All of a sudden, a CHP calls me, and I and uh, they're telling me they picked my mom up and took her to the hospital because she got on the freeway driving the wrong way. And I'm like, what? Yeah, she's at the hospital. She was trying to drive herself to the hospital because she's having heart pains again. Uh, so this is very hard to talk about, and I, it just tears me up. But she's in the middle of writing a Southern cookbook. And that, that's a phrase I did not expect to come in there. My mother was in the middle of writing a Southern cookbook with all the recipes passed uh-huh. down from generations. My mom was a great cook. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I didn't realize it brought up all that old trauma. Oh, wow. And it fucking devastated my mom. And I guess she started reliving all of the shit that happened to her. And I go pick her up. Seven o'clock in the morning, and drop her off. And I said, "Mom, get some sleep. And as soon as you call your doctor, 
you know, mm-hmm. and I'm going to check up on you. Twelve hours go by, or about that, and I start calling my mom about 7 o'clock at night. Yeah, I figure maybe she's just asleep. I let the phone ring and ring and ring. Normally, it would wake her up, and, mm. and I just knew something was wrong. Man. And I went over, and uh, she had a heart attack. She fell and hit her head. And uh, she must have had the heart attack uh, pretty soon that I dropped her off. And uh, because the coroner said that she was dead about 12, 13 hours. And uh, I lost it. You know, I was, uh, uh, I first thing I did uh, is I called somebody and I told them I was going. Oh, going on, and uh, they came by, and uh, all I all I could think about is why God, you know, why, you know, fuck you, God, and I I want out. I don't want to be here anymore. I just lost the only person that I know loves and cares about me, and I don't want to be here anymore. I just I went into. Um, destruct mode. Um, and I did what I knew how to do best to kill the pain that I did most of my whole life as I turned to a bottle and drugs. And uh, I didn't care. I wanted out. I was just trying to, you know, um, I just, I, you know, I lived through that. I have no idea. You know, I have... Uh, and you struggled to stay sober for uh, 19 years after that, or 18 years, right? When I was 18, I, I pissed up blood, and it scared me. So because of my mom, uh, I, 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 tried to, I went into treatment. But I really wasn't. I was in that thing. Am I or not I an alcoholic or drug addict, and why can't I control it? And I went through that for a long time. And what I'm understanding now is that is that I had the defiance and grandiosity, you know, that I'm going to prove that I'm okay, you know, and that I'm different. Uh, and that's what I did, you know. Um, Which is the opposite of acceptance. Total opposite. I want to be normal. I don't want to be an alcoholic and addict. <clears throat> I want to try to control it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I said, all this happened because of the traumas and stuff that had happened to me. And I started to understand a little bit, of, but I just want to be normal. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I overshot the mark time and time <laughs> and time again, you know, which should have been an indication. But, you know, it's like most uh, most alcoholics and that we shrug it off. It was mm-hmm. just a bad night or, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. And how know? many times do you think uh, you went to jail and. And or uh, prison? I've never those... been to prison. Okay. Um, How many times did you go to jail in those 18 years, you think? Uh, maybe 10 okay. at the most. Right. And, I just wanted a ballpark. And, and at the most, I don't yeah. even know if I've been, you know, maybe a little more with the drunken publics and shit like yeah. that. But, but between 10 and 15 at the most. Yeah. But the, the 
uh, like I said, I'm not really uh, a criminal. I'm not really that. I'm not into hurting anybody or stealing anything. Just out of stupid, you know, stupid, mm. being stupid. Uh, and uh, you know, I caught a felony with that in 1984. So I'm in love with this, and I'm, you know, drinking, and I'm dating this actress. I don't know how to have relationships. And my alcoholism took effect, but we ended up having a problem and she don't want to see me anymore. I don't know how to handle it. And I'm just, I'm drinking to kill the pain. And, uh, I'm walking down the street to go get some more liquor. And there was a VW rabbit started just sitting there. And I'm thinking about her, right? So what do I do? Well, I'm going to borrow the car and go see her. <laughs> borrow the car. Yeah, so that was the second time I ended up getting busted. They charged me with a felony for that one, and I ended up doing a year in county jail behind that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was, uh, you know, you figure by then, you know, that uh, it helped me stay on straight and narrow for about a year mm -hmm. uh, after I got out. But then, you know, my alcoholism... Uh, you know, took effect, and I was off and running again. Mm. So. Well, uh, I want to fast forward to where you are today. You've been you've been sober now for over a year, and uh, and you're going to college. Yes. Whew. You know, there's always that self worth that uh, you know. Um, I still don't know if the field that I'm going into is uh, is what I really want to end up, but uh, it is a field that I want to be into helping other people with alcohol and drug addiction and mental illness. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not, I'm not going to make a lot of money, and that's always been my motivator in anything that I've done is uh, <clears throat> the money involved. Mm -hmm. Where I'm at now, um, I was driving a truck. Going through St. Louis, something ended up happening. We broke down in um, St. Louis. I couldn't stand my driver anymore. I ended up going on a bad bender, uh, and I don't know. Something just happened. I I don't know if it was uh, some realization or I just realized. And I think really what happened is that. Uh, I went into a blackout, don't remember anything. And this is not the first time. This has all led up to the progression of the disease. Mm -hmm. uh, this is painful because I'm just, um, you know, my self-worth is still kind of low. But because uh, I kicked the shit out of me for so long, uh, I don't know why. What happened? What happened? I just, uh, I said, I, you know, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And, uh, uh, you know, I started getting serious about getting sober, and uh, be, and I think it was an accumulation of everything. You know, the the surrender, the complete surrender, is realizing that I know what's going to happen when I drink, and I don't want to do it anymore. I could kill myself or kill somebody else. The worst part is that I'm going to do something in a blackout that's going to hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. I don't care about hurting me. Yeah, It's uh, the possibility. Whew. But you decided finally to surrender and ask for, yeah. not only ask for help, but be willing to do what people suggested you 
do when you ask for help. Exactly. Because I think a lot of people, they're, they're okay with going and admitting that they have a problem to somebody, but they don't want any advice and they want to continue to do things their own way. And in many ways, what you're doing is you're just calling an audience in to listen to you bitch if you're not going to change anything. Yeah. And uh, and I and I have people like that in my life that I eventually have to distance myself from because I say you know I, look I I've given you my opinion on what I think you need to to do and um, at this point you're just repeating yourself and I can't stand by and enable you um, co-sign your bullshit oh, yeah. well, you know yeah. I love you I'm rooting for you. But uh, right. I, I can't be your passive audience member. Right. Listening I can't to co-sign you. it anymore. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. dude, I'm uh, I'm so glad that you that you came by to to do this, <laughs> and I I, uh, I I'm glad that you're uh, you're at college and you're uh, you got this new chapter in your life, and no matter where it leads, no matter what happens, yeah. I'm I'm glad you're. Yeah, you're my buddy, and and I thank you for your really, really uh, admirable honesty in uh, in our uh, our podcast today. It uh, it made me feel made me feel good. Made me feel uh, I don't know. We were talking about that when you took a cigarette break in the middle of the, yeah. the podcast. We just both felt so so good. Yeah, so good about it, and so light. I just feel light yeah. after I. Uh, have conversations like this. So I want to thank you for being in, uh, in my life. Well, thanks for having me. And I hope my experience will benefit somebody else that's going through and, uh, for them be able to, to have the power and courage to open up and heal themselves. So I'm sure, I'm sure it will. Thanks buddy. I love you. Thanks Polly. Just remember he had on Crocs. So, don't don't invite him too deeply into your heart. He was wearing UCLA-colored Crocs, so keep that in mind. Uh, I love him. Love me some Hank Adams. Great guy. Uh, in fact, I'd like to read a letter from uh, from somebody that sent me a... Uh, if I can just find out where it is. Here we go. Um, it's from Allison, and she writes, Dear Paul, I just finished your podcast with Paula Newman. Killer good. It was the tipping point. I donated $10. I know that is not much, but as a FT grad student, I guess that means full-time grad student, uh, at 50, with a $13 an hour part-time job, I am proud to have worked one hour to give it to you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, That means a lot to me. She then writes, Now I must sound both pathetic and boastful, but you sincerely moved me to show my appreciation. Uh, she writes, I think I've listened to five podcasts now, and I may have recognized a new addiction, addiction listening to your show. I am a seeker and a finder and all that great stuff, but damn, the safe space you create for honesty from your guests is lifting me out of hiding from my own fears and blockages. Because of you and your bravery, I think that might be a little exaggeratory. Is that a new word? It is. I just created it. Look it up. Um... I am, I think there's a little, maybe there's a touch of bravery in there, but there's also a healthy dose of narcissism. Um, but anyway, let me just, goddammit, let her call me fucking brave. Jesus Christ. 
Sorry to my Christian friends out there. Uh, because of you and your bravery, I am pretending less and less that things did not happen or do not matter. I've been tough and I've built up a rather sad philosophy that life is essentially a trick. It's a sucker's game. But you and your amazing guests have showed me something so valuable that I haven't been able to look at before. The fear, the hurt, the resignation is not unique, nor is it shameful, and saying so is authentic and healing. Fuck it, I say. I'm going to focus on the good, work my best stuff, and keep moving. I admit what happened and let up on myself. I will love that place where I store it in my body and weep a bit as I free up that space for something better. It ain't over yet. Paul, all the best to you. Thanks for reading this. I'm a big fan. Well, thank you, Allison. I uh, I was really touched by, by your letter and uh, the fact that you took time to to write it. And uh, I always enjoy, as I tell you guys before, I enjoy getting uh, emails through the website. Apparently there was a problem the last couple of weeks. Uh, people were getting 404 errors, um, whatever the fuck those are. But I talked to my web guy and uh, it's been straightened out. So um, yeah, send me emails. I love getting them. Love uh, knowing that uh, you guys connect to the show. And uh, getting back to my point, if uh, if you would like to uh, support the show financially, as I said, donations are always appreciated. If you would like to sh- support the show non-financially, uh, go to iTunes and give us a good rating. That boosts our ranking, and that helps bring more people to the show, and I like that. It makes me feel good. I like feeling good. Thank you guys for listening, and if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, just know you're not alone. There's a gazillion people that feel just like you do. In fact, you're probably way more normal than you think you are. You might even be boring. Thanks for listening. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.